From the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It is the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. And I'm MJ. And this is Mark. And welcome, everybody, to the show. Uh, what's going on? I just got back from vacation yeah. in Vancouver Island. We haven't had much going on because Michelle's been gone. How was Vancouver Island? It was amazing and cool. We saw whales and we saw bears and we saw seals and we went on boat tours and my back hurts because <clears throat> I spent too much time in the car. Oh, that's too bad. Bears? Yeah. Like on the property bears? Like, oh shit? No, as in we took a bear tour. And so there's there's an awesome, awesome little town um, called Tofino. It sort of reminds me, here in Portland, we're familiar with uh, Cana Beach. Mm -hmm. So this is a slightly smaller, way more hipster version of Cannon Beach. Hmm. Little town um, on the west coast of Vancouver Island called Tofino. I swear I want to live there totally cool little tourist surf town anyway so they have bear tours so you pay and you go out on a boat for three hours and they just hit all the beaches where the bears hang out and hopefully you find one do and they guarantee you see them they yes and no um so if you do not then you get to come back anytime you want to and they'll take you out for free hmm. but once they they said they won't well, that only happens once per year what happens is as the salmon go up river oh right the bears don't come to the sea level very much they just kind of head up river to to feed so once they do a tour and they see no bears, then they have no more tours for the rest of the year. That makes sense. Because it's kind of like, okay, it's official. They're on their way to hibernation. But, yeah, so black bears and gray whales. We took an all-day boat tour on the West Coast. It was an 11-hour boat tour. Wow. Um, saw some gray whales, which was pretty fun. How close did you show. get to them? Um, not terribly close. Um, there's new rules up there, actually. 200 yards. Oh, gosh. You can only get within 200 yards. Now, um, once you see one, the boats are required to actually shut down completely. Yeah, makes sense. Shut off their engines, yep. like shut mm. down until they're like, I think it's 500 yards away. Because although you can only get 200 yards from them once you shut down then they get to go where obviously wherever they want to so if they come closer to you you're powered off does that make sense yeah did they um, come closer to you no oh. <laughs> <laughs> but they were once michelle started throwing apples at yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless they're huge and impressive and even at that distance when they travel in those huge you know their their the uh, exhales yeah, yeah exactly it was it was that was pretty fun and and again 11 hours on a really cool it was a so it was a boat tour, but at the same time, it's kind of like this freighter taxi thing. So in the be- in the in the bottom bottom, I don't know. There's a name for it. They keep freight, and then they go to all the different fish hatcheries, and they drop off. Here's your fish food and your groceries, and it's kind of like a taxi. They'll drop off employees and pick up employees. So for 11 hours, you're going through this amazing, amazing West Coast hmm. country, and it was a beautiful day. They said it was the nicest day that they've had as far as you know no clouds and no rain and everything they've had it probably in weeks and weeks so wow nice. 
really, really fun. And the Canadian exchange rate is extremely advantageous for us. So it was relatively expe- uh, inexpensive uh-huh. as well. So for we traveled to two people for 10 days. We did Airbnb and camping, multiple boat tours and so forth, and only spent $1,460 in 10 days. Wow. That also includes the ferry to get there and everything. Mm-hmm. So Thanks. Yeah. So you saw some bear? Yes, absolutely. What kind did you see? Do you know? Black. Okay. Yeah. So they actually, fa- interesting fact, so um, grizzly bears do not live on Vancouver Island. Grizzly bears only live on the mainland. Mm. And mm. if they actually see any grizzly bears on the island, they will capture them and boat them back to the mainland. Why is that? Um, grizzly bears um, are known, of course, they're the top of the top of the food chain in the bear land, and they will like start killing off the black bears, oh. especially the babies. Oh, so interesting. The grizzlies, especially male grizzlies will eat baby blacks for like you know, snacks. So, wow. so if they do see any grizzlies That's on the in your island, graze box, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Shout baby, out to graze. Baby black bear snacks. Um, <laughs> so they'll take them back to the mainland. The other interesting thing, however, about Vancouver Island is they have the highest concentration of mountain lions in the world. Yeah, you said that Ooh. the last show. Yeah, but we didn't see didn't any see of those. Any? Huh. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, but they saw you. Probably. Yeah. Did you yeah. see any? Did, did were there any orca around? We did not see any orca. We were pretty disappointed by that. Hmm. But um, in their migration pattern, apparently, um, first of all, most of the famous pods are actually on the east side of Vancouver Island, between the mainland and the east side. Hmm. All the like the San Juan Islands. Mm-hmm. We were <coughs> predominantly in the water on the west side. Um, so any orcas that we would have seen would have been transient, not mm. our famous JKLs that mm-hmm. we hear so much about. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, we didn't see any, but we were kind of disappointed by that. What are you making that face for, the, Mark? The transient orcas that, with the signs up. <laughs> we'll swim for food. <laughs> we'll perform for we'll us. perform for, for a black bear snack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, speaking of transient wells, reminds me of the uh, guest that we have on our show today, (laughs) (laughs) because he caters to a kind of transient population, population. (laughs) (laughs) RV nomaders and other people who are on the road often. And, you know, when you're apparently when you're RV and you are pretty limited to where you can stay, especially if you have a big rig. And so, uh, and especially we have a lot of unfamiliar, what I want to say, unfriendly jurisdictions for people spending the night in their vehicles. And so um, Joel Holland and his wife have this company uh, that is called um, Harvest Hosts. And what they've done apparently is they partnered up with, uh, as the name might imply, uh, farms and orchards, not orchards, what do you call it? Wineries. Wineries, Wineries. So that you can take your, and we're going to get into whether or not tiny houses are okay, but you can take your RV and uh, park for a night at one of the participating farms or wineries. So uh, welcome to the show, Joel. Oh, thanks guys. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be here and and listening to the stories about Canada and Vancouver Island. I'm I'm all excited now to try to get up north. (laughs) 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 Because we we actually, so with Harvest Host, we have, as you mentioned, um, wineries, farms, breweries, uh, distilleries, and other very unique locations that you can uh, overnight uh, as an RVer. And we have 631 locations at this point, uh, including Canada. And I was just looking 
we have um, every province in Canada, we have hosts, and we even have one on Vancouver Island. So as huh. you were talking, I was looking it up, and um, it's a uh, it's a winery. It looks beautiful. Uh, it looks like you park, yeah, you're kind of parked right, um, kind of parked right there amongst the vines hmm. uh, in the wilderness. Uh, and that's and that's kind of what we try to provide is this is this experience that you don't typically get when you're RVing. You know, typically it's parking lots and yeah. crowded campgrounds. Mm-hmm. Walmart. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and Walmart. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Great, great place to shop, not a great place to sleep. For yeah, sure. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I'm curious uh, how this, so I, I was reading on your website and I understand you bought this business from another couple. Um, how far along had they gone before you and your wife got involved? Yeah, they've done an amazing job. So, so Don and Kim Green were the founders. They started this program nine years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, kind of out of a personal need, which is the best way to start a business, I think. Yeah, of course. They were, you know, they, yeah, they were road trekkers. Um, they had been, they had done overlanding uh, internationally, kind of all over the world. Hmm. And they were surprised that um, a lot of parts of the world, you can take your RV and, and stay, you know, go stay with um, various hosts and families or really pretty farms and locations. And the United States was so different. Uh, that, that you know, farms didn't connect with RVs, and so they started reaching out and just asking you know farms uh, and wineries that had products if they would be willing to let RVers stay with them in exchange for you know it, it enhanced exposure and more business. And I bet you at first it was really tough. You know, it's a tough sell, right? Because uh, they didn't have they had no members, <laughs> and so they're trying to get hosts in order to get members, right? Um, but by the time we came along and got to know them uh, and purchased the business they had uh, painstakingly built the network up to over 600 uh, hosts all throughout North America. Yeah. You know, even Baja, Mexico, which is incredible. So, so I, I mean, I give them all the credit. They, they created this great network and we came along, um, my background's technology. And so I uh, brought a couple people over from my last business to uh, really invest in improving the technology, uh, improving the website, the search experience, the, um, the mobile app, uh, and then really just marketing the program to start growing it. So how many, how many people do you have? Uh, so you have 680 something as far as hosts, how many, uh, members do you have? Yeah. So, uh, memberships growing quickly. Uh, we have about 12,000 members and, um, you know, and there's no right or wrong answer for how many members, you yeah. know, you know, we're, we're targeting. I think yeah. uh, for me, it's just, there are 14 million RV owners in the United States, which is a surprisingly high number. Um, and I think more of them should know that there's a better way to, you know, experience this whole RV culture. Yeah. So, so I think that's, that's our goal is just to get the word out. Um, it tends to be one of these programs where if you like search the hashtag harvest hosts on Instagram uh, or just Google harvest hosts, people are evangelical about the program because they go and they experience it one time and they're like, no way. Like, I didn't know you could camp with alpacas. Right. <laughs> this is super cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's fun. As a matter of fact, that's how we heard about you, um, sort of in that evangelical sort of format. We were interviewing a couple of guests that were uh, traveling uh, anesthetists. I think that's what they're called. Um, and uh, they were traveling in a self-contained tiny house. 
and all across the country, of course, going to where the contracts were leading them. And they were like, you would not believe the coolest places. You know, they were talking to us and here on the podcast, and they said the coolest places we were staying. We were staying wineries, and we're staying at farms, and we're staying at orchards. And they were positively, you know, excited and giddy about the prospect. And so, um, one of the things that they had that I commonly do not have, so I'd love to hear you comment on it, and that's the self-contained um, criteria. So, if I understand correctly, uh, this really does well for RVs because of the fact they're normally self-contained as far as showers and bathrooms, and it's really just a secure place to park where the police aren't going to knock on your door at 1 a.m. in the morning kind of a scenario. But can you talk a little bit about that self-contained criteria and and what the individual um, hosts expect from their guests that are visiting? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And so, you know, I think it, I think self-contained is the best um, description because the idea is these hosts are not, they're not campgrounds, right? That's very important. And for us to convince the hosts to participate, we basically said, look, we have all these great members. Uh, they're excited to experience new things, new wines, you know, new animals, new meats. Um, they're, they will spend money with you. Like they're going to come, they're going to, they're going to buy your goods. Um, and by the way, they're self-contained. They have their own toilet. They have their own, you know, cooking facilities. Everything's inside their rig. So it's the whole leave no trace concept from camping. Right. Um, our members will show up and whatever they come with, they will take out. And that, you know, and that's nice. It, it's great for the hosts um, who, you know, are not campgrounds. And uh, and there are, I mean, to be fair, there are facilities. You know, they were, if you're at the winery, you can use their bathroom, you can use their facilities. Um, but, but but we don't allow tent camping. And that I think that's understandable. Um, you know, hosts are, aren't looking to have tent campers set up on their property because they're not a campground. They can go to hip camp for that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And hip camp's great, you know. And uh, precisely, there's there's a there's a solution there. Yep. Right. So, Joe, how? So, I'm curious. When I was reading through your information, it says that you can only stay one night. Why is that the case? So, we, you know, that's the that's the the policy um, officially. But what we we kind of say is, once you get to know the host, um, it's really a relationship between you and the host at that point. And most hosts will, will invite you to stay longer. Okay. Um, you know, as long as, long as you're, you're there. you're a nice person. Know, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. I, I, I think that's the key, is, is that the one-night policy gives the host the uh, flexibility yeah. to say, oh, you know what? I'm comfortable because I know if some jerk-off comes and stays with me, I can say, get out of here. Yeah. And I'm sorry. It's awesome, our policy. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Sorry, our policy is no jerk-offs. Yeah. But if it's someone really nice. <laughs> <Good> policy. <laughs> it's we like that policy. policy. But if it's someone really nice, um, they will invite you to stay. So that's and, happened before. And, and I, it, yeah, it happens. It happens all. It, okay. Not the jerk off thing, but the yeah, yeah. staying multiple nights thing stays, happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times you can even, if you're interested in being a part of uh, their process, I mean, they'll invite you to wine stomp uh, or grape hmm. stomp. They'll invite you to uh, help harvest. Hmm. I mean, some people stay a few days and actually help in the process of farming and just trying something new they've never done before. Hmm. So, 
tell me about your sort of day. So you said you brought a technological background to this, but I can only imagine that your life now consists of traveling around in an RV and like visiting them all. Out of the 600, how many of them have you personally had contact with? And tell us your favorite, sort of one of your favorite experiences. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so before... The reason my wife and I were interested uh, in Harvest Hosts is that we had we were both living in Washington, D.C. She's a veterinarian, uh, and I was building this technology company. We both reached a, a, a kind of a period of burnout with the city, where we were just tired of the traffic. We were tired of um, all the congestion, and we wanted to escape. And so we, a couple of years ago, we, we um, really just kind of picked up. We, we bought an RV. Uh, and for two years, we traveled, and we ended up RVing through all of the lower 48 states. And we had a blast, right? We, we saw, you know, a lot of cool things that we never thought we'd see. But our complaint was that this whole illusion of freedom that we'd experienced during the day while driving mm. was kind of crushed at nighttime <laughs> when we'd reach under that Walmart, you know, parking lot or um, even a campground right. where there are just, you know, tons of people five feet away from you. It was like, it was back to that congestion problem that we left DC for. Mm. And so we started looking around and we heard about Harvest Hosts and this idea was wonderful. Um, and I'll tell you, I mean, the best story to illustrate <laughs> Harvest Hosts is uh, my first stay at a Harvest Host location. So I joined the program. It's very inexpensive. It's about $49 a year. Uh, I was traveling from Denver, Colorado, back to the East Coast. So I looked, you know, I kind of looked along the route, and I found that in Kansas, there was a farm that was run by uh, three nuns, wow. sisters of Dominican. Hmm. And I didn't have, I didn't know a lot about Kansas. And I felt guilty that all my experiences with Kansas had been just driving Route 70 back and forth, never experiencing the state. And I didn't think that was fair. And so I found this farm uh, not too far off the highway. I called them up and I said, hey, I'm a member of Harvest Hosts. I would love to stay with you. Will you have me? And they said, sure, come on in. We'd love to host you. And so I show up. I drive down this dirt road off the highway. Felt like I was in the movie Twister. Right? I was like, <laughs> waiting for a tornado. The cornfields on either side. Yes. <laughs> yep, 100%. Like, I, I was just waiting for a tornado to take me away. <laughs> but I, I arrive at this beautiful, like, multi-thousand acre property wow. and I'm greeted by um, one of the nuns and she was wonderful and she was she had just turned 81 years old wow. a real sweetheart the other two nuns were also in their 80s and they ran this beautiful alpaca farm and uh, they introduced me to the alpacas <laughs> literally it introduced me by name to the alpacas which is <laughs> wonderful <laughs> and, uh, they showed me the chickens they showed me the property and they basically said look you have free run of the property like Park wherever you'd like, find, you know, that perfect camping spot. Um, we're here if you need us. And so I think the most unique thing that I did there, you know, you look through the products that they offer to try to give back. And one of the nuns made alpaca scarves hmm. um, and other alpaca goods. So I bought some of that for my wife. Uh, one of them made soaps. So hmm. I bought some soaps. And the third one gave massages. Oh. And I thought, when else am I going to have an opportunity to get a massage from an 81-year-old nun yeah. on an alpaca farm in Kansas. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so I went for it, and it was it was it was it was exquisite. It was a wonderful massage, and the whole experience was. I basically left this farm, and I said, "This is the coolest company. I have to see if I can buy it." Hmm. And that's how it started. Wow, that's amazing. How many? How many? Um, so on average, in these these hosts, how many RV? How many visitors can these are hosts accommodate at a single time, or is it just one per? No, it's a great question. So we, we leave that to the discretion of the host. Mm. Um, we will typically, on our website, you can pull up each host profile and it'll tell you how many spaces they offer. We, we max it out at four mm. per night. Um, the reality is, in all of the dozens of hosts that I've visited in the last year, only like two times has there ever been another RV. Interesting. So typically you have the place to yourself. And now, the, now there are exceptions. There's some like really popular hosts, yeah. uh, uh, in like Paso Robles and that you know sort of area. But um, but if you're a little bit off the beaten path, usually you get the whole farm to yourself, which is quite an experience. And so, what is the general average speaking speaking on average? Is what's the large? What is the size of a, one of these host locations? You know, I would say usually hundreds of acres. The average is probably hundreds of acres. Wow. Um, Yep, uh, and because uh, you know, they're, yeah, they're usually farm. So we have the of our six hundred and I think we're up to like forty, you know, and change hosts. Half of them are wineries. Mm. Uh, the other half are farms. Uh, dis, uh, I'm sorry, farms and museums. And so we do have a lot of really unique um, museums. And in that category, I mean, here's a cool example. Last week, I RV'd up to New England because I, want, I love New England in the fall. I think mm. it's just spectacular. Mm-hmm. And one of our hosts is the Mount Washington Cog Railway. And it's the oldest operating Cog Railway uh, in the country. What's it that? Started yeah, back what's, in a, what's a Cog Railway? So, uh, great. I'm glad I'm not the only one that didn't know what a Cog <laughs> Railway was. So, 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 so first of all, so Mount Washington, you know, is just like its tallest um, point on the eastern seaboard. And... Uh, it's yeah. I guess you, you basically you're climbing two thousand feet to get to the top of Mount Washington. Mm-hmm. So some people hike it. So it's a hill. Uh, and, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah, being, being from Colorado, I can say that it's definitely an adorable hill. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but now imagine a train trying to go uh, climb two thousand feet mm. over the course of like a mile mm-hmm. or two miles. I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it's just crazy. So this uh, train at at its maximum is climbing a 37 percent grade oh whoa it's 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 wild yeah and 37 percent like maybe that doesn't seem like a lot but when you're on this train you're looking down and and you're you know you think if this track somehow fails we're done (laughs) so that's roller coaster uh, territory yeah that's really it really it really is and and this thing was built uh at the end of 1800 (laughs) so uh, it's the same track. You're not instilling very much then. confidence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. So, but and so that's one of our hosts. So you can actually stay right there um, at the you know in the parking lot. So I woke up to seeing these trains start going up the mountain, and they they run every like thirty minutes. Huh. Uh, and the first one's coal operated, so it's actually blowing all these plumes of smoke, which is kind of cool. Um, and it was just wonderful. So, you know, so that one's probably a smaller locations so a lot of the museums are, are smaller footprints but most of our locations are these farms and vineyards with hundreds if not thousands of acres yeah. it looks like the evergreen air museum here in oregon is one of your hosts 
There's an Instagram. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And we have a lot of outdoor air museums, a lot of car museums, hmm. uh, the National Quilt Museum, if you've ever wanted to uh, get your quilt knowledge uh, up to speed. <laughs> the, <laughs> Dang it, that's right. one of the things on my Probably. bucket list. Yeah. Well, Actually, here, here's, yeah, another, here's another one to put on your bucket list is the National Museum of Clean. Clean. And it's a history of vacuum cleaners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. That actually would be uh, yeah. kind of interesting to see. I think yeah. it'd suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bazinga. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Perry, you're online over there doing your research. Um, how many do they have in our area? I, I'm actually not looking on their map. I was looking on their Instagram, and I know, I, I um, recognize the uh, Evergreen 747 that's in the uh, main area. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. So, what would you say is the most? I hope Michelle didn't ask this question already. <laughs> what would you say is the most <laughs> unique host that you have? Man, man, that's a really good question. Um, well, we have well, man, we have a, a, a Mid American Windmill Museum. Oh, and that's very specific. Um, we have a uh, a skeletons museum, the Museum of Osteology. Wow! And that one's actually very popular uh, for good reason. <laughs> What's um, the reason? <laughs> uh, people love their bones. I you know? guess so. <laughs> hey, that would be the <laughs> ultimate selfie. <laughs> uh, I mean, can I you imagine how many opportunities? <laughs> yeah. That's true. It's it, great for selfies. I hadn't thought of that. I think one of the most unique is a, uh, we have a vineyard that's in a cave. And so you actually go down into a cave and it's set up um, as, as a uh, wine, you know, your wine tasting is in this vineyard, in this cave, which wow. is quite unique. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. So how do people engage with your, <laughs> with your website? So they, they pay a, an annual fee. And then they have, then how do they engage with your website? Is there a map? Do you have to make reservations? Do you have to call in advance? Like, how does the whole sort of process work? Yep. Yeah, we try to make it as simple as possible. Um, you join uh, for about $49 a year. Uh, and so it's, you know, the price of one night at a traditional campground uh, is kind of why we priced it like that. Hmm. And then once you're a member, you can log in and search either by location. Um, so like I put in Oregon and I see we have 25 uh, hosts in Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. And then once you've done that, you, you know, it's showing me a map view and I can then zoom into the different parts of Oregon. I can see the different types of hosts. So I see wineries, I see farms, mm-hmm. uh, or I can see a whole list. Uh, or the other most popular way to search is by route. And so if you know you're going from, you know, Portland uh, to Walla Walla, you can put that in and actually say how far off your route you're willing to travel to visit a host. Wow. And it'll then plot those on the map for you, hmm. uh, give you a whole list. And then once you've found one that looks interesting, so like I, I'm looking at one here, like I found a, a winery in Baker City, Oregon. Looks beautiful. I pull up the host details page, which then shows me all the photos that members have submitted. And members have been great. We have thousands of photos submitted. So I can see the actual photos of like here's an airstream parked at sunset on this vineyard looks awesome i can then read the comments see what people liked uh what they did and then if it looks good i give them a call and the uh, phone number's right there they tell me to contact Uh, i call up and say i'm a member of harvest hosts i would love to come stay with you tomorrow or in two weeks uh is that okay and 
you know, to, to, you know, to your point, you always have to call ahead. Um, we want to make sure the hosts have the ability to say yes or no. And um, two weeks is typically as far ahead as we recommend you call mm-hmm. because, you know, they're, they're not a hotel, so right. they probably don't have, like, booking systems. So. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so go easy on the host. Right. So, so $49 doesn't seem like uh, a whole lot of money for a yearly membership. Um, what is – so you said you had 12,000 members, did you say? Yes. Yes, twelve thousand. And and here here's the reason that we keep the price low. I think there's two reasons. One, um, we want to make it accessible yeah. to to anyone who RVs, and uh, and it's a big population. And so, um, I don't want price to be a hurdle because mm-hmm. I really do. My main reason for for you know buying this company, running it, is that I think it provides an experience that I wish most Americans could experience, mm-hmm. which is going back to small farms and you know and, and kind of the real rural gems of america mm-hmm. and i think there's something very special about that so the price we don't want that to be a hurdle but the second piece is that we're not trying to make all the money as a company we actually want to encourage the members to give back to the local business and so by keeping our price low uh we basically say take a percentage of what you're saving from you know uh. staying at a traditional campground and buy the wines buy the fruits, buy the organic vegetables and support your host. So, so rather, sorry. So, so the, the $20 that you recommend that people stay when they're at one of the hosts is really kind of the lower threshold of what people actually spend. Is that right? That's right. That's absolutely right. Do you have numbers that show what, what an average host is getting from someone who stays at their place? You know, we don't, it's very hard to track that. Mm -hmm. Um, I know from, just from my personal experience and from talking to others who use the program, mm-hmm. I bet that number's closer to $50 a night. Okay. Uh, and, and the reason is that that matches up with what you'd be spending at a traditional campground. Got it. Like a, you know, traditional campgrounds typically 40 to $80 a night. Uh, and I think most, and it's completely free by the way, to stay with all these hosts. There's no charge right. at all. So once you've paid your membership, you can go stay for free all over the country. Right. And, um, yeah, and then I think you know most people then they know what they would be spending, and they're happy to give it back to this husband and wife team or to the nun. Right, they're happy to give it back yeah, to the nuns yeah, yeah. to support you know what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, my my uh, short term rental units are in are in wine district, mm. basically winery country, and uh, yeah, absolutely. You go stay for st- for free, and then you buy two bottles of wine, which you probably would buy anyways. And, and, of course, in the case of the wineries, now you don't have to worry about where you're going to go drink it <laughs> or whether or not you're going to drink and drive or like any. I mean, I just I see so many advantages to this type of a, to this scenario. Um, so what do your naysayers say? Do you have competition? What what is your what is your next hurdle, your next challenge? You know, so we're, we've been fortunate so far that we don't have really you know any any naysayers to speak of because it, it's very much like a win-win-win program yeah right? members like obviously love it right. right the hosts love it and then we as the business love it i imagine that what we really need to be aware of uh, so since buying the business i've doubled membership in the last four months mm. and i think you know if we keep growing really quickly it's important that we also grow the hosts make sure the hosts aren't overrun um, and I check in with them regularly to ask, you know, do you want more visitors, less visitors? 
fortunately right now, you know, they, they all unanimously say, bring us more. Like we really want to, you know, be getting our products out there. Mm. Um, but I think it's important as we grow to make sure we don't lose touch, uh, with the, with, you know, the, the original, um, purpose of the program, uh, which is to have really happy hosts and really happy members. Yeah. And so we don't want this to become a sellout program with millions of members where it loses its soul. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I can appreciate that as, again, as someone that uses some of the online booking services for my rentals. Um, I can certainly appreciate that. Like this whole notion of, um, you know, we want to have a company where you can sleep on someone's couch or stay in someone's backyard and then have it grow into this massive multi-billion dollar worldwide not about the little people anymore concept i can certainly see that would be a challenge to maintain that humility that connection that sort of back to your core values of what you know what got you excited about it in the first place yes yeah absolutely no i think that i think it's kind of cool we're, we're at this point in in, the, in america where everyone's going back to authentic small local um this whole the whole you know this whole like mainstream mass production sellout thing seems to be um being pushed aside for small and authentic so yeah. which is what i love about the tiny house movement like people are realizing they don't need to live in these massive 14 you know bedroom mcmansions there's something very nice about having a small footprint uh and feeling kind of self-contained if you've got a 14 bedroom house, that's not a McMansion. That's a mansion. That's a, that's a regular mansion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just for the, for the note, yeah. Well, one of the things we also talk about here on the Tiny House podcast and, and in the Tiny House movement and industry in general is the changes to our relationships that happen when we travel or when we downsize or, you know, minimalize or, you know, get rid of our stuff and, and feature and, uh, prioritize experiences so you you sort of started out the story today by telling us you and your wife and you're in dc and you're sick of the rat race what has changed for you um since you started traveling since you started being in this business have you noticed any changes to your relationships with your parents with your wife um with your friends have you noticed those do you have any of the benefits have you uh experienced any of the benefits of this um lifestyle yet or is it still too new no, I, I think I think the be- the benefits have been plentiful, and I and I think kind of best summary is we're just we're in touch with our friends and family um, much more regularly. It feels like you know it feels like we're really like part of our community again, hmm. which is so ironic because in D.C. where most of our friends and family live, we felt very disconnected because we were just you know you go to work in the morning, by the time you got home you're exhausted after fighting traffic for an hour. We come back to this you know, a condo that was larger than we needed to live in. It just, none of it really fit. And then we left and got into this tiny little fifth wheel, not even a drivable RV, like a, you know, a fifth wheel. And all of a sudden we started reconnecting with everybody. And, and, and I think, I don't know, I don't know what, there's some, there's some really something about, um, being out of that chaos and rat race that reconnects you with people. And so now our home base is in Vail, Colorado which is a beautiful, beautiful place. We're in a smaller house than we lived in in DC. Um, and none of our close friends and family live around us, yet we see them more often than we ever have before because we're actively inviting them out uh, or when we're in the RV, we're going to visit them. So 
yeah, we I'd say we reconnected. Like by by disconnecting, we reconnected. Strange. Hmm. So you said you've traveled to all the forty-eight states. Yes, all the fo- lower forty-eight. Um, we've been to Hawaii, but not in the RV. But never been to Alaska. So that's the that's the last big frontier for us. Is doing hopefully next um, next summer a uh, big RV trip to Alaska. Yeah, our trip to Vancouver was was kind of a pre-trip to Alaska. We wanted to see what it would be like to, you know, be on the road for 10 days straight and and that was kind of our our idea too that we want to we want to head up there. But of course from here it's so cheap to fly. I just can't mm. I just can't justify yeah. putting my life at risk on in the Yucatan or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> the, can I just fly up there for 200 bucks and then I'll be there like in 2 hours and it's so close and it's so cheap. So, so so, you, so after 10 days on the road, did you find yourself, um, were you ready to be done with the trip or were you kind of like getting that itch to keep going? Oh, no, I was ready to be done. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I have to say, but my relationship is a little bit unique in that I live in a tiny house and um, my boyfriend and I live a couple hundred miles apart. So we, we've been together for a really long time, but we really, we both understand that we can only sort of take each other in small bites and small pieces and we present our best self and then it's time for you to go home now. (laughs) But for me, um, you know, I I live in, you know, 300, 350 square feet if you include the lofts of my tiny house. But we were car camping so if we were not staying in an Airbnb, we were actually camping out of the back of our car. So so that was a minimalism, like living out of your car for 10 days. That was a little too, little too small. Mm-hmm. We decided not... I have multiple RVs, but we didn't take the RV because they were so expensive to take on the ferry. But right. So you obviously have a ton of choices about where you're going to go next. Um, when you travel, how do you choose where you're going to go? I mean, is it strictly, hey, I'm headed from Colorado to D.C.? Because that would kind of put you at the same hosts every time. How do you choose when you travel who you're going to stay with? Yeah, so I think that's part of the mo- that's the most fun part of RVing for me is the, the, the total flexibility. So usually I'll have somewhere I have to go. Like, like this, so this last trip, I needed to go to Boston for my college reunion. And so I chose that artificially. I didn't have to go, but I decided, you know, that's in September. Why not make a whole trip out of this? And so I made a one month trip and I chose a route to take me through States uh, and to hosts that I hadn't seen before. Hmm. And on the way back, same thing. I kind of took a different route. Um, So on the way there, I I went almost straight across country coming back. I took a northerly route uh, by the great lakes and then back down. And what I love about RVing is some days I would wake up and I loved where I was. Yeah. And so I would just stay put. So, so as an example, when I was in Maine, uh, in Bar Harbor, um, I'd only planned to be there for a day, but it was so beautiful. And I had this oceanfront spot that I stayed a few days mm-hmm. and I went to Acadia national park and I went hiking and I just had an absolute blast. Uh, and then I left and I went to the next location. And so, and sometimes I get to locations that just don't have the right vibe. They don't have the feel and I will cut it short and spend a day there and then keep on moving. Yeah. But, but when you find a place that really like resonates, it's, I think it's so neat that you can just stay and you've got your house right there with you. So yeah. your house is just, you know, wherever you roam. Yeah. Which yeah. is what I, you know, what I, I find interesting with a tiny house movement is there's such a gray line between a tiny house and an RV. Uh, right. 
how, how do you draw that line? Like when you when you think tiny house, do you think it's not on wheels? We're not taking it anywhere. Predominantly, ninety over ninety percent of the quote unquote tiny houses actually are on wheels. Um, the tiny house industry originally started. Um, you know, people were so fascinated that you could quote unquote take your house with you. Over the the evolution, people have realized that they're not that aerodynamic, <laughs> they're not that lightweight, mm-hmm. and um, and so they're actually more difficult to travel. There are still some people, obviously, that travel full time with their tiny house on wheels. Um, but yeah, predominantly tiny houses are built with wood, two by fours. But now, again, as the evolution of the industry, most of them stay put for longer periods of time. Now, they may be three months or six months or nine months. But the, so the concept of freedom and flexibility still exists, especially for like me. Um, you know, my house has now been in the same place for a year and a half. But I don't assume it's going to be that way forever. You know, I may move to my boyfriend's house or we might buy land or whatever. So they still provide flexibility, but not really the wanderlust mm. that the RV industry, shall we say, supports. Mm-hmm. And to, to, as a response to your comment about staying put versus keeping going, I think that's probably the one thing that I should have done better or we'll, we'll do differently on our next long road trips. We do two per year. I need to stop controlling it so much. We were at a different place every night. We've okay, we're reserved over here. Now we got to go over here, and it's five hours. So we got to leave by ten a.m. because we got to check in at three. You know that kind of thing. Towards the end, we ended up staying in that town I talked about, Tofino, for two days. Out of all the places we had been, it's like, oh, I wish we had come here earlier. Mm. I wish we could stay longer. So it really wasn't, no, I don't want to, you know, I want to stay on the road for another 10 days. It was really more about, wow, I wish I would have had a little more flexibility or allowed myself the flexibility um, to not just feel like it was a road trip and we had to be on the road the whole time. Yeah. That that was my mistake in, in kind of overbooking us. Yeah, that's the that's the kind of romance and and joy that I can that I heard when um, Joel was describing his most recent trip and how lovely that open ended opportunity you have, especially if you're if you're not expected in any one location at any time. You can do what he said there. Where if you're at this place you really love, you can stay more than you longer than you thought, and then if you don't like where you're at, you can immediately leave if you need to. Right. I really so like that. It was great because, of course, as you know, even though my vac- my official vacation time ended <clears throat> before we got back because I work remotely, I was literally sitting at a camp table at a campground on on a picnic table on the beach, and I worked and you know put in my work day and took a picture and put it on Instagram and told everybody how my cubicle today doesn't suck <laughs> and made everybody really <laughs> jealous. So um, from that perspective, again, I can certainly appreciate um, appreciate the sentiment associated with again that romantic part of, of the the travel which which a lot of people miss well Joe I, I have a question for you relative to your travels when you travel um, and and relative to the um, the hosts in your program is there Wi-Fi at these locations you know most of them yes so I think that we're, it's kind of nice. Like in 2018, most um, locations do have Wi-Fi, uh, and actually at, at the hosts, it works really well because the, the you know the networks aren't overrun. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I end up I mix in traditional campgrounds with hosts because yeah. I also work from the road, 
and I need to be able to actually be plugged in, have power. You know, mm-hmm. I need the campground experience every once in a while. The Wi-Fi at campgrounds never works <laughs> because you have like a hundred people viewing questionable videos at night. Yeah. Right? So taking, true. <laughs> taking, taking all the bandwidth. Yeah. And, uh, but what's the saving grace today is that with cell phones, yeah. I can tether uh, to, to the LTE network almost everywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. And I bought this, um, WeBoost makes a couple of antennas hmm. that, that will boost your cell signal. Hmm. And so I have this WeBoost Sleek. It was about $200. Um, when I'm in my truck driving, the, the antenna clips on the roof, and it actually key, it improves your cell signal. They say 32x. Hmm. I've done some tests, and, and it is actually pretty close. Um, and so while you're driving, you don't drop calls. Mm-hmm. But when I get to a campground, I then move that antenna back to the RV, and I'm able to use my phone uh, as my internet source okay. wherever I can't get Wi-Fi. So, yeah, I always I, use yeah. mine as the cool. backup. Yeah, yeah, because again, the right. Wi-Fi at the campground might be great in the morning, and then pretty soon everybody starts <laughs> logging on, right. and then it's crappy, and so then I just switch over to my hotspot, mm-hmm. and uh, I can switch back and forth, or you know, I guess that's the way it's going for everyone these days. Well, Joe, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a wonderful conversation about you and your organization, uh, Harvest Hosts, and lovely hearing that uh, rural America is. You know, the last the last person or the person before last we spoke to on our show was talking about rural America also. And yep. so we got a little theme going here. Yep. But it's great to hear that uh, you're working along with our other uh, guest um, to revitalize in your own little way the rural communities of America. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. You I appreciate your time. Yeah. And, and uh, Tiny House listeners, thank you again for listening to another show. Hope you found this one as interesting as we did. And tune in next week because, of course, we're going to have another show equally as interesting. Super fun. Namaste. Bye, everybody. See ya. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>